with the fifth edition. Join our various gaming groups as we play the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe just hang out and chat about gaming in general. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jim here. And Kelly. And for today's topic, I decided to bring up something I've been talking to a lot of people with over the last uh, few weeks, is talk, fight, or run. Not everything's a nail needing to be hammered. Mainly because I've been having a lot of conversations with folks that are like, why does this adventure have something way too strong for my party to fight? Not everything is... Maybe because you shouldn't fight it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, as it goes from a GM story po- point of view, when you look at a lot of adventures that have been written in novel form, not everything is meant to be fought. Some things are just meant to be a barrier. Like, thank Smog and the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, and... Uh... I can think of one uh, example that uh, uh, my sister almost caused a party wipe because she decided to take on a uh, adolescent uh, green dragon. And we were what, level uh, three? Level like three or four, yeah. Yeah. And uh, needless to say, practically Almost wiped out the party in one fell swoop. <laughs> one breath attack with all of the party minus one being right there at one spot. Exactly. And really shouldn't have uh, just let me just shoot my arrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to attack. <laughs> now, of course, in her defense, it wasn't her character's background that she wanted to drive off it the worm. Was. It was in her character background. But she done got everybody almost killed if it wasn't for Uh somebody who took the first option that I have here, which is talk. Mm -hmm. My my rogue uh, uh, begged, (laughs) begged, pleaded, and bribed the dragon not to kill them. And there's nothing a green dragon likes better than corrupting people. Yeah. Especially when uh, you offered uh, honey buns and the salty elf to to make the bribe even better. Well, I didn't offer the salted elf. He offered himself up. This is true. Um, I offered my hard-earned stolen gold. (laughs) (laughs) 
that was really hard for her. <laughs> that was. And I had to agree to work and keep giving them, keep giving the dragon the the gold. Now, the salty elf decided to go on this whole create a cult about the dragon and, you know, I don't know where he was going. <laughs> All I know is the dragon appreciated it. Yes. Spare their lives and you get two valuable minions, a bag full of loot, and promise for more on a regular basis? Yeah, he made out very well. You turned your adventuring party into timeshares. <laughs> but they lived. True. So so the, the, kind of the point of my, you know, I had here with this topic was not everything is meant to be run in, kick the door, and kill the monster. I mean... That kind of goes across the boards of whether we're talking Star Wars on Creative Plane Podcast Network or D&D on D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition or even Scion. I mean, Scion mm-hmm. was another good one where a lot <laughs> of the times talking with the baddies can get you more than kicking in the door and trying to kill them. Or, you know, not trying to fight them yourself, but having somebody else do your dirty work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's nice to manipulate somebody into fighting somebody else on your behalf. Oh, yeah. Worked like a charm for Trixie that one time. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's better to point one enemy at another enemy. I mean, a lot of the classic D&D stuff had that, where you could put the faction of kobolds against the faction of goblins, because they already have a rivalry. And as the GM, you kind of show that to the players and, you know, don't tell, but show that there's a rivalry. Like, have one encounter turn into another where bad guys show up to help your players at the perfect moment, only because they're killing your enemy and going to kill you next. I actually, I, I did something like that in the uh, Dresden game that we were doing. My changeling pitted the two separate vampire factions against each other. I mm. basically started a war without them even knowing. Yep, when he when he set the black court vampires against the it's local the Irish mob. Yeah. Yep, and that that's another good one of the. It sometimes you can accomplish so much more by talking. You know, of course, yeah. let's be honest. Good role playing is even better because you know that's that's talking to your GM and they like that even better. Yeah, that was that was some. Oh, that character had fun. And uh, another example I had was the uh, just the other day when we were playing World of Warcraft, the Fell Reaver in Outlands. Oh God, I remember. Oh, <laughs> I take delight in killing that thing every time I can, <laughs> because the first time I went to Burning Crusades when it first came out, and I didn't have speakers set up, so I'm walking around. Dan was playing, remember, mm-hmm. and he was. Basically, we were doing a torn roll to uh, Falcon Watch. Um, and I'm just like, wow, this is really pretty. Look at that sky. All of a sudden, I'm dead. <laughs> Literally. Because apparently, the Fell River came up right behind me. And one minute, I'm standing there. The next minute, I'm squished. <laughs> Had no clue because, of course, I didn't have speakers in. <laughs> Yep, I mean, that that reminds me of EverQuest back when they had in 
North Road, the Sand Giant, which is basically just like the Fell Reaver, that it just wanders random paths, and when someone trains it, it basically will go and kill anyone in its path. You know, it's not meant to be killed. It's meant to be avoided like a force of nature. Oh, no. You can kill it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a role player from an RPG point of view, I think the important thing is to make sure that you express as a GM that this thing seems immeasurably inconfrontable, you know, like a force of nature, like the Hobbit looking at smog, you know. You kind of know that this little hobbit, even if you rolled a natural 20, the dragon would not die. <laughs> you know, so you need to be kind of clear to your, as a GM to players that this, this thing, this thing is not meant to go down in one shot. And they should probably either use skills, which is kind of my thing is like, don't use just your roll to attack. Use your skills in an encounter. A lot of times you could totally like... I'm going to totally give away something I've never told Kelly because it used to be before we got together in gaming. But back in my 3.0 days, when I used to actually get to play, I had a nifty trick with my bard. Whenever I got into a situation where either A, I didn't want the group to fight, and I just wanted to say, screw it, let's go to the next place, or B, I had to get the hell out of there and I needed a quick escape, I this must take, be that Bard Memdawin. This would be the Bard Memdawin, my little half-elf bard who is very Taoist and very, uh, very chaotic neutral. Oh, yeah, my character hated him. He was an NPC <laughs> in one of our games. Well, <sighs> Memdawin would always carry an extra coin purse with 40 to 50 coins and would often, when going to new towns, find the local... Uh, paint or ink shop and purchase gold colored ink take 40 to 50 copper coins paint said copper coins and put them in the backup purse or the as the the cops would call it nowadays the drop purse and in a pinch you could pull off this purse of 40 to 50 copper coins which we all know it's a week's worth of pay but it's not much cash pull the string and throw this appears to be a pouch full of gold coins on the floor. Hmm. And, and of course, away! everybody will be grappling. Because that way, the you know, if it's an intelligent monster I'm fighting and they're there for cash, they're going to see that I just threw cash on the floor. What are you going to do, grab the cash or run to chase the guy while your friends are grabbing the cash? Huh. I may have to steal that from you. There's, there's a reason why, until tonight, I have never given that one to you, because we all know in the old-timey videos, when you see the $10 gold coin, what's the first thing in the old westerns they do when they see a $10 gold coin? I don't know. Okay, Kelly, in the pirate movies, when they get gold doubloons, what's the first thing they do? They spend it. <laughs> No, they spend a turn inspecting the coin by biting it to see if it's real gold or not. Oh, I see what you mean. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So at the very least, they'll be on the ground picking up the cash, and even if they check to see if it's real gold or not by biting it and doing a perception check, you know, you totally are buying yourself at least one round to get away Uh or to talk. 
which could totally be the thing you want to do in a tactical situation if the big, if the tank in the group isn't in the room, or the healer, because you could then run away and see if the idiots will sucker, you know, to follow you. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to be in too much of a talking move when you find out that's not real gold and you built them. Well, think how long it'll take them to figure it out, because if you're lucky, what if they're not that smart? They're intelligent, but not that smart. That's true. And what you could do if you did it in a crowded uh, area, you'd totally keep people chasing you, you know, at bay. Memdawan has totally used that in chase scenes to basically throw the gold coins behind him. And Uh it's better than caltrops or ball bearings because if there's a crowd, (laughs) what are the people going to do when they see the gold coins glittering on the paved road? They're going to go diving for it. Instant difficult terrain. <laughs> because it's it's all about the, you don't have to treat everything like a nail and hammer it with a fight. Because I've, I've talked to a few players and GMs over the last month or so, and there there is this theme that players think everything you put in front of them is meant to be confronted with violence. Well, that's true. Um, uh, you know, the whole murdering hobo. Uh, aspect of it but one thing that helped me kind of break out of that mentality was um, specifically picking a character that would have to think more which is why I created when I when we did Scion I did Trixie mm-hmm. she's not really that fighty fighty she's, you know... She's totally her father's daughter. Yeah, well... (laughs) She would not admit it. She hates her dad. Um, (laughs) She's really upset with him. Uh, But uh, uh, I specifically am like, okay, I'm going to try something that I don't normally do. And that's when I created her and it, I have to stop and think, well, it's not like she can really do a whole lot of damage or that type of thing, but she's got spells and, you know, you know, she would eventually have become the goddess of misdirection. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you, you choosing something that you don't normally play can sometimes you know help you move into a different frame of mind yeah because it's it's often nice to see players you know because I, I mean look looking back to older like third edition of D when you had skill points and you had skills of the wazoo to use which all, of course they had what like 14 20 skills in third you know so yeah and the number perpetually kept growing so you could you could easily do like oh 35 plus roll because you put your skill points into it. Mm-hmm. But but that's one thing I do notice in 5th edition and I am pl- I am pleasantly surprised in, in Strixhaven reading through the adventure they have so many examples for GMs to give their players of you can use a skill, here's the DC check of that number. Mm. So that way you can you be a magic user using sleight of hand with your magic doing, you know, the proverbial lesser magics, you know, Something weaker than a cantrip, but still using your magic and a skill to work with it. Yeah. 
So that way folks are, you know, actually doing skills, which is good to see, you know, adventures reinforcing that the it's more than just the climb or the swim skill. You know, it's actually doing more with sleight of hand, because like, let's be honest, sleight of hand has been underutilized in a lot of the adventures in 5th edition. Yeah, well, I think they kind of, uh, they neutered a lot of its potential. Mm-hmm. So people don't think of it offhand, but. You know, it's it's there. It's just not as prevalent as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like I was uh, talking on our Star Wars game this weekend, when in Star Wars it's simple. You've got uh, an easy, an average, a hard pass, so it's one, two, or three dice, and then four difficulty dice if it's impossible. In D&D, we've got the long rolling DC chart, you know, the difficulty, you know, classes or difficulty you know challenge mm-hmm. so for D D, it's you know because remember back when you could just take 10 or take 20 uh-huh you know that way you could basically say i'm spending a week building this chair so it's going to be a great chair because i'm taking my time so a lot of a lot of times from a meta level as a gm to a player you've got to remind players sometimes that the the tiers of difficulty are basically an easy task requires a five or better you know that that's fairly easy anyone with any skills and is in it will probably not roll a one you know yeah uh, easy difficulty is 10 which is kind of scary so something you do on a daily basis still requires you to take a 10 or better which is why 3.5 used to have the take 10 action where you could just totally say i take my time and i just do this thing you know it's driving your car to the store without any crazy traffic <laughs> Then the scary part is for a medium difficulty, it's DC 15. So that's you, tricky. You think about it, that's a pretty high number. Yeah, it is. I mean, granted, you could, you know, totally do something to take advantage. You could use, you know, a kit to help you. You could, you know, make sure you've got proficiency in it. So you're getting your proficiency bonus as well as your stat bonus. And then if it's a hard task, it's DC 20. And, of course, we all know how hard it is to get a 20 or higher. <laughs> Just ask your GM when a player has an AC of 19. Yep. You're constantly hitting them. But then again, that's as intended. You know, guy decked out with a great AC, great dex, great armor, and a shield. You're not supposed to be piercing that armor that often. No, it's designed to be a little more uh, resistant. Robust. Until you get that natural 20 and the arrow sticks out the ice lot. Oh. <laughs> and then a very hard task is 25. And nearly impossible is 30. So as as a GM, and, and I do know as a GM I felt my players' frustrations, you know. Honestly, be honest with them. If they have any skill or proficiency in a skill, you should be telling them, like, if it comes to picking a lock that seems to be a masterwork lock, it's the best lock ever, you should tell them this is ne- going to be nearly impossible, very hard or hard, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no reason you shouldn't just come out and say it. I know there's that stigma where you don't tell them what the AC is of the monster because then they have a goal, which I I, I play both sides of that argument. I give the number away when you hit the number. But that's just so you can witness how agile and quick and strong the scales are and the bone ridges and all that good stuff. 
Well, um, also with like a um, like a master lock type of thing. Anybody who's like in the trade, so to speak, is going to have an educated guess looking at something like, oh, well, that this is like something Uber. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. You're just run of the mill. You're going to need an actual safe cracker for this or, you know, you're going to have an educated get. So when you tell them, yeah, this is going to be nearly impossible, it's not that far fetched or I don't think it's breaking any, you know, rules because this person would theoretically have an educated guess as to the, the quality of that lock. Exactly. You know, it comes down to the whole, it's their bread and butter. It's what their character does, you know. You could have a ranger look out on an area and say, in this environment, how difficult will it be for us to find blah, blah, blah. And you could totally just tell them, it seems to be, you know, it's it's average difficulty of any conditions, you know, because the snow, you know, makes it easier. So it drops the difficulty, you know, or or you can even be really generous and say it drops the difficulty and gives you advantage. Yeah, or by the same token, it's pouring rain out. You're not going to see any tracks. You know, know? tracking the killer on the cobblestone in the dark with the rain, it's going to be a very hard chance for you to catch any trails. Mm Mm-hmm. But not impossible. Exactly. But that tracker is going to know that, okay, yeah, it's possible, but not likely. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, totally, if you're doing things on the fly, you know, as a GM, if your players say they're doing something to make it harder, don't forget, like, if your players are running from the, the, the law, you know, we'll say in this case, they're running from the sheriff, and they want to make it more difficult, and the ranger says, as a survivalist or as a tracker, can I do something to make it harder for them to track us? Totally be willing to give them ideas and suggestions of, like, say, why don't you run in the small creek instead of on the fresh soft dirt or on the hard rocks? Or you and drag a, you're dragging a uh, a branch behind you to you know sift the to, to disturb your track so it doesn't leave any uh-huh. telltale marks. Yeah. And depending on, uh, I'm assuming if the GM's going to roll a random dice behind the wall because that'll totally make it more interesting for your players. Or just caveat that they lose track of you, period. You can totally do the whole uh, use their passive perception as the difficulty test, too. So if like somebody's doing a stealth to cover their tracks or a survival to cover their tracks, you can totally say if they do this thing, it upgrades the difficulty from a medium to a hard, and that's way too difficult for this tracker to catch up to them. Mm-hmm. You know... Don't be afraid to just reward your players for good things. And don't punish a player for asking, hey, can I use this to to make this easier or the type of thing? Because I've been in games where, you know, yeah, the players are going to try and finagle as much as they can. I mean, or rules. I'm not talking rules lawyering um, or that type of thing, but trying to get the the most advantageous um but it's like they hate it and you know it's like squeeze that juice yeah so but you 
player's just trying to stay alive. <laughs> it's it's their character, and their character is precious to them. I mean, you know, and of course, you know, as a GM, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be pushed back if your players do that because it means that the players are engaged. Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean. If they are squirming to make their characters survive, it means they are interested and they are engaged and they have something at st- and some stakes in the game here, you know. And that is a good thing. Just mm-hmm. just make sure that they know if you, you give them the uh-uh look, that they know that you mean the uh-uh look, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, GM has final say, you know. Mm-hmm. But I will say, it is entirely po- possible to get a nearly impossible role. I have done it. Yep, it is. It is possible. And that's why it's nearly impossible and not completely impossible. Oh, no. I, I, I literally, I was in this and the GM said, I'm like, oh, um, it was near the end of the campaign. I'm like, okay, I'm like, literally a Hail Mary. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray to my God to see, you know. And the GM's like... <laughs> Okay, but unless you get a natural 100, (laughs) not going to (laughs) happen. I rolled a natural 100, and it was like, oh! (laughs) It was was funny because this character was cursed multiple ways. It was just, it was terrible. I mean, (laughs) this character... Which uh, started out in its 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 life as a uh, fodder character um, that my brother had created, and he had the terrible name. He'd created these two fodder characters named Wimp and Wuss, um, and so after he'd left, he's like, I was given the character to play, you know, two box basically. And I'm like, well, first of all, I am changing the name. <laughs> so I did. It was a ranger. So I named him, what did I name? Blackhawk. Something like that. Uh, yeah, no, Blackhawk. And uh, he got cursed with, not only, well, I fixed the name curse, <laughs> but he got cursed with insanity. Basically, basically split personalities. Every once in a while, the GM would roll and a new different character, he, he would like, and he had the, these frame ones. One was like just completely and utterly depressed. He was called Sad Sack. You know, <laughs> one thought he was Gage the Great, this ultimate paladin with, you know, plus six Holy Avenger, you know, and you know, just like, so this this character would have to, you know, and then on top of that, it was then cursed with were, uh, lycanthropy as a were-rat. <laughs> so the end of the campaign, it was like nearing it and like to pray to the god. Sure enough, I got that natural 100. The god was nice enough to go, okay, I'm going to cure you of your insanity, you know. Um, but yeah, you're no, you're staying aware, right? <laughs> I'm like, so close. <laughs> you're staying aware, right? But that's okay because that's the path that I've set before yeah. you. <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is possible. I rolled a natural 100 on the, you know, my one shining moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh shit, there I was moment. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and kind of what uh, what, what did, did motivate me was I was thumbing through Tasha's uh, cauldron of things and uh, there's a picture and they talk about it at the in the in the back of the book for players of discovering your enemy's motives. And there's this cool little picture with this dwarf with a pole arm with a stake hanging off of it and there's an owl bear. <laughs> And, you know, and, and the picture it itself is a great descriptor of, oh, crap, there's an owlbear. And, and I've had this happen in many games. I mean, like in our Thursday night game that we don't stream, our barbarian in that group does it all the time. Whenever there's a, a choice of an animal, is it hungry? Can I throw food <laughs> at it? And let's be honest, as a GM, when you're random encountering somebody with something, what is the creature's motivation? Because if you can help let the players gleam that idea of what their motivation is, that could give them a mo something to do besides just fight it. Mm -hmm. You know, look at during The Walking Dead, pulling a Shane, you know. Sometimes it's better to cut your NPC's leg and let him get eaten so you can escape. <laughs> there are options to turn around and dying, you know, or, or you know, fighting. That's true. Like in the uh, um, Heroes of the Realm one that we had done, uh, we were facing all of those mercenaries that had basically our target. Mm -hmm. So instead of fighting them, we just paid them. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, they're mercenaries. They're doing it for the money. <laughs> their so, motivation is simply to get wealthy and not work hard. Uh -huh. Boom! Instant payout. Okay, here you go. We'll kidnap them again next week. Don't worry. <laughs> but right now, okay. <laughs> it's no sweat off our nose, and we're getting enough money for the season. Yep, and, and we're getting paid. And that's totally one of the things of when it comes to putting things in, you know, how often, you know, I walk up to the city guards. The guards want to frisk me and check me for weapons. So I could either get myself in trouble and try a persuasion check to bribe them to let me come through with my weapons, or I could do an insight check to see if it looks like they're bribable. Just from when I'm standing back in line watching other people go through, my insight check of whether these guys are straight-laced or if they are semi-crooked. True enough. Or in case they're, you know, just they're doing their job as some boldest brass feelers come walking by with a charming check and they're just so <laughs> cute walking under the barricade. And it's like, I can't stop them because they're so cute. Like, thank you. Hello. <laughs> and this I could totally cool. see all those feelers just cutely walking under the, the three foot barricade, smiling. Because, because we did. Because <laughs> you did. Hey, you have to wait in line. No, no, it's fine. Thank you. <laughs> no, you have to take. You know, it's fine. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, when it comes to that too, I mean, so so the kind of reason why I came up with the title of what I did was it reminded me back in the days of Might and Magic when it was back out on the Apple II GS, you know. Of the when you played Might and Magic, you were pointing your little little forward, back, left, right arrows, and you're walking through a maze, and then a random number generator would create a random encounter, 
And it would always give you the option of fight, talk, or run. And of course, you know, if you ran like in an RPG setting like we're used to, you would use, you know, the GM would look at you and say, okay, how are you running? Are you using athletics to just run? Are you using acrobatics to climb on the rooftops? Are you using stealth to dive into the first dark, scary place you can? Are you using history to know the the back streets? Or, you know, investigation to, to know what shops that you can run to that these guys won't follow you into. You know, it comes down to even survival. I look for a local indigenous monster that I can run these guys into so I can escape. Oh, come on. We've all trained people in uh, games where it's like, oh, look, that person, you know, either trained them into the city guards or um, you train them into somebody else's AOE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the classic, train them to a local beehive. You know, you know that that pond that has that giant toad in it, you know, get them to get too close to that pond. They're now not your problem anymore. Or direct them into a uh, really pissed off uh, earth giant. Um, (laughs) Not my beach. (laughs) It's my beach. (laughs) And it's true that, you know, use skills to, if you want to run, just be prepared to face the consequences like back in those magic days where you click run and you basically lost the initiative because you were running and you failed. And basically failing to run, that just means you're having an encounter. You know, it doesn't mean anything horribly bad. It just means at this moment we're retreating semi-strategically. But yeah, it's it you, didn't work. When you kick so in you that door and you fight. realize the orcs were playing knuckle bones right against the door you kicked in. Oops. So, you know, never be afraid to try different things other than just fighting. I mean, granted, that's why a lot of GMs will throw out stuff that is inherently evil. I mean, granted, there's that whole thing with D&D now where no race is inherently evil. and there's Oh, always... I'm sorry. Mind flares are freaking evil. <laughs> They're just trying to find a home for their baby tadpoles. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, you know, that way, you know, when GMs throw certain things out there, like your skeleton, you know, your unintelligent undead, those things are meant to be paper targets that you kick in the door and you kill the crap out of. You know, it's pretty self-explanatory what they're doing there. They're going to <laughs> pursue you. They're going to single-mindedly do their job. But when it comes to, like, animal intelligent creatures, why is the creature attacking me? Probably because he's hungry and starving, and they've left him locked in this room, and I'm the first thing it sees that it can eat. Or I can use a sleight of hand to do an ole and trick it out of the room and then sneak in myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I did love in 4th edition for anyone that's thumbed through the monster manuals for fourth edition is they always had an entry for each, each, each monster that you could do a arcana, a history or a nature or religion role. Usually it was a combination of two. So you could go, totally go up to orcs and roll a, you know, history role, or you could roll a nature role on goblins and it would, Give the GM an ability to give you some feedback that your character knows. 
So never be afraid of using, I know there's the action economy there that players always get hurt when they lose an attack because they're using a skill. But sometimes that can be a better use to do an insight check or an investigation check rather than jumping to conclusions and starting to fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know in a lot of our games, animal handling gets used for a lot of stuff. Yep. Or if you're going and you see a murder scene, investigate her medicine to see what was the cause of the death for those mm-hmm. who have a very, very poor perception. Because, you know, investigation is the Sherlock Holmes bit. Medicine is the molar, molder bit where she investigates the body, you know. You mean Scully. Scully, yeah, that's the one. Mulder would totally be the investigation or the uh, history. Because mm-hmm. he knows all the history. So never be afraid of using more than just the charisma skills. Because that's one, you know, charisma skills, they totally explain what they're there for. Deception, intimidation, performance, persuasion. And, of course, don't forget the fact that... Uh, it's, it's up to your GM, but you can totally do the variant skills with different abilities combination. It's just that, uh, like if you're doing roll 20, be prepared to roll a dice and add a number. Mm-hmm. You could totally do animal handling with strength instead of wisdom. Or you could do intimidation with strength. You know, you're totally pulling the Arnold bit, flexing your muscles. You know, <laughs> I am wielding my weapon at you. It is very intimidating. I'd be back. <laughs> you know, if your character's not charismatic, but you want to do persuasion with your subtle, sexy catwomanness, you know, you could totally do a persuasion or performance with dexterity instead of with charisma. Mm-hmm. Like finesse weapons can use, um, you can use either agility or. Mm-hmm. Dex or strength, you've got the option. Uh-huh. Oh. Though I don't know what you would do with stealth. I mean, I guess you could do wisdom if you know what's tracking you to basically play on its, you know, preconceptions. Um. Uh. Well, maybe. Stealth to set a, not even like survival would set the trap, but mm-hmm. stealth could be to make it easier to fall into. Give them that last minute push or trip. Yeah. I could totally see someone use charisma, better. charisma with stealth, by the way. If you're in a busy city streets doing the Aladdin thing, and all of a sudden you walk up to the circle of ladies that are like, you know, doing something on the street, you know, shucking shells or whatnot, and you smile at them and throw one of the, you know, the cloths over your head and join in with them. Instead of using your decks, you use your charisma to blend in with the crowd. Mm-hmm. That, that totally could be like the Assassin's Creed thing where you walk up with the priests and you put your hoodie up. Why? Because the priests like you, so that you're, because you're charismatic, they will let you join in. Exactly. Of course, that could also be in Assassin's Creed, a good example of using your acrobatics to escape, or doing uh-huh. uh, 
using stealth, you know, you totally start shit, and then you immediately run and stealth as soon as you get out of sight. Because, of course, with stealth, let's not forget, you must break a line of sight for it to work again. That's that's one of the tricks. And, of course, you know, when it comes to breaking line of sight, there's lots of tricks that you can totally do. You know, four-way streets, find a basket, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, that shit. <laughs> Just don't pick a basket with snakes. No, that would be most uncomfortable. That would totally be when somebody says, I jump into one of the baskets. I'm like, roll stealth. And you roll a natural one. You jump into the basket. And then you hear the hissing sound. And hopefully the monkey won't give you away. (laughs) (laughs) Evil monkey. (laughs) You failed your animal handling skill to convert the monkey to your side. (laughs) Or you should have ran insight on that monkey. (laughs) The monkey is selfish and in him for his own. Whoever bribes him with the best dates wins. Oh, I'm sorry. Those were bad dates. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's just a a little little friendly reminder I want to throw out there for GMs and players is it's more than just kicking the door and fight the monster. Think about talking, fighting, or running in in your next encounter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll even throw out jokingly on Monday night when I played in Star Wars, the... Story had us getting basically railroaded on Nar Shaddaa with the cops. My droid proceeded in, by the way, for context, my droid is the uh, murder droid. He's the long-range killer of the team. So if <laughs> anyone's going to be killing people, it's usually me. Well, I recently gained full sentience and free, free will. Well, congratulations. And when this person showed up with the law, I came out of the ship to see what was going up. Our Jedi found a dead body out outside our ship. The law showed up. I went back on the ship and closed the door. <laughs> Mainly because sitting next to the lawman was a woman who I allowed to escape because she attacked us earlier. And all I knew was she blew up half my team, so I started t- killing her murder bots in one shot. Wow. And they kept insisting I get off the ship, and I kept saying, nope. <laughs> it was my equivalent of the peaceful protest. And then I just waited for my party to ensue in the violence that was, you know, impending to happen. So the murder bot was not at fault for once. <laughs> for once. For once. Of course, as a, a backup to that, I also had recently spent points to learn to pilot. So I was totally ready to get the ship ready to go at a moment's notice. I was totally playing Chewy in that scene where uh, in A New Hope when they're at the spaceport. Had ah. the engines running just in case. So don't always think you have to stand and fight. You know, you have the option to talk your way out. You can fight, which is like the default. If running and talking fails, there's always the fight. And, of course, you know, there's always the you can break the fight. If your team does the, the old alpha strike where everybody attacks the same guy and kills him, drop mm-hmm. an intimidation afterwards and just say the whole throw down your swords, you know. Yeah, take out the officer, the leader, um, and sometimes the rest of the group will, you know, scatter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the problem with wearing rank and file. You know, everybody knows who's the guy's in charge. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like the movie The Patriot, kill the officers, and all of a sudden all the enlisted men drop their weapons. I hated that movie. <laughs> of course, there, there's also a reason why you don't just massacre everybody, too. Because if you massacre everybody, they're going to pick up their weapons and fight to the end. Pirates have, t- have learned that lesson well. If you're just going to kill everyone and burn the ship, we're going to fight to the last man. Exactly. However, if we have an option, we'll take the option. Yep. So anything else you'd like to throw out there for uh, talk, fight, or run? Um, beg, borrow, and steal. <laughs> <laughs> and those talking gives you the option well. to do all three of those. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and <laughs> as a GM, you know, one thing that a lot of players don't realize they can do and they should do is the insight skill. I I love doing insight. Insight skill gives gives GMs the gift of like I used to joke with uh, EverQuest. I'll go back to the EverQuest. When you targeted a creature, WoW does kind of the same thing. I can totally tell you if you do an insight check on this guy, oh, this guy's walking the walk and talking the talk. He is a masterful swordsman. You know, the way he has his sword belted, it's like he was born with that scabbard on his side. You know, let your players know when they see something that this guy looks like a fair fight. You know, if you guys, you know, if you do something sneaky, you probably walk away. In EverQuest, they used to have the con scale where it would basically tell you that you could, like, one-shot this thing or, you know, how difficult do you think it would be, like, in WoW terms, the skull would be a red. Yeah. I'm just totally Googling really quick the con levels because mm-hmm. I love their descriptions. So uh, let's see. So it used to be white, which means it's the exact same level as you, yellow a couple levels higher, and red, like more than four levels. Somebody put here is a, oh, great experience or excellent experience. I'm like, that's not what it meant. Because <laughs> they used to have this really cute quote on the con levels of like, you know, Completely deadly, you'll die in one shot, you know. Yeah. But apparently in EverQuest they took they took those out. At least in EverQuest nineteen ninety-nine. That's interesting. I never played EverQuest, so but uh yeah, World of Warcraft, um uh you know, if it's got the skull or if it's red. Um and I don't mean the dot, but like the the level. Mm-hmm. Skull means fuck no. Um, if it's red, it's probably like you know close to max. It's it's probably max level, and mm-hmm. or it's uh, um, uh, five to ten levels higher than you, so it can kill you easily. But skull means, oh, you're going to need a lot of people. <laughs> and even then it might not work. <laughs> See, I actually found found the old difficulty chart. So if it's gray, which means no experience, it looks like a reasonably safe opponent. Otherwise, you could probably win this fight. If it's green, which means just like in, in WoW, the green, you would probably win this fight. It's not certain, though. Light blue is, it looks kind of dangerous. Dark blue, 
Looks kind of risky, but you might win. It appears quite formidable. Then you have white, which is equal to your level. Looks kind of risky. You might win. Or looks like quite a gamble. And if it's yellow, it looks like quite a gamble. Otherwise, looks like he, she, it would wipe the floor with you. And then for a red, what would you like your tombstone to say? <laughs> and then they have the uh, big bads and raids. It would be, uh, uh, this creature would take an army to defeat is usually the message that you would get. And as a GM, use descriptors like that, you know. If there's no reason you can't give your players fair warning, you know. Mm-hmm. When they see a bunch of scallywags in the alleyway, you can totally tell them these guys don't look like they're that tough. Or these guys look like horrible backstabbing murderers. Because remember, if a party member is wasting their action, they deserve some information if they succeed. Mm, true. I think that's the one reason why players do so little of, of skills in play is because they don't, they're afraid of getting gypped. You know, let's be honest. Yeah, it's the, the economy. It's important. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, I'm going to save that for when it's going to be, you know, profitable, so to speak. Like one of my favorites is if you're getting into a we're getting mugged in the back alley type of deal, see if you can get next to a guy and uh, slide of hand a weapon off of him. That's you a good know, point. You could totally make the bad guy's deck stat as the difficulty. You know, the more agile he is, the more quickly he is to block your hand. Or you can make his wisdom stat because he's, he's wise to your moves, you know, and perceptive and he sees you flinch for his sword. You could totally let your player pull the guy's weapon out and stab him with it. A, there's nothing cooler than that, because let's be honest, that's cool. And B, it's him using a skill in a unique and interesting way. Mm-hmm. And it's very cinematic. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're trying to do, is get everybody engaged in the story and add to it. You know, it's like when your GM says, what does it look like when you kill that dude? You know, GMs want you to, to, to narrate as well as, you know, do, you know, they want, they want some show in the tell. But don't force players who aren't comfortable doing that. Some, there are players who that would be very, very hard for them. Uh, And they might need, oh, well, your, you take, the GM would take over and say, basically, well, your sword cleaves them in twain, you know, type Mm -hmm. of thing, rather than, So, especially if you have a really shy player or um, a young player um, who's just getting their footing and stuff, some kids can just, like, go off with these amazing (laughs) descriptions ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. Others, it's like pulling teeth. And if you have to pull teeth, Mm -hmm. don't. That's because that's not enjoyable. Make them uncomfortable. And um, so just let at that point say, oh, okay, well, this is what I see happening. And then eventually that kid may grow out of it or then feel start feeling more comfortable doing it. 
Um, and it doesn't even have to be a kid. It could be an adult, yeah. you know. Um, uh, don't force them to to give to a description away. if they're not. Because, you know, not everybody... Yeah, the, there is there is that caveat that you have to make sure to stay within the comfort zone, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. So, anything else you got to throw out there before we wrap it up for the night? No, I I think you pretty much covered uh, most everything. Um, uh, maybe one thing is, is, um, you could use perception to see if there's something, uh, that could be used to block or interrupt or, you know, a fight, you know, all of a sudden, oops, oh, look, I see these, these dishes precariously perched, you know, if I just get uh-huh. a little closer, they all go cluttering down, causes all this chaos in the marketplace, you know. It could de-escalate a situation, you know, just by, uh-huh. you know, everybody then gets distracted or, you know, helps the, the little old lady pick up her things. Let's I hope they're helping the little old lady. Um, oh, but then the little old lady could be a thief. Who knows? <laughs> You know, Maybe we like, should roll an inside check. <laughs> the real, little old lady is really the mastermind. Exactly. And then she goes up to that barrel full of eels and water and spills it, blocking your escape. Exactly. So. But yeah, never be afraid to ask questions and see if you can use skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they've definitely cut down the skill list, but never be afraid of using those skills. They exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, many a player has said, you know, can I use nature skill to do this? Why, yes, yes, you can. Historically speaking, has anyone invaded this castle before, and how did they get in? That's a good one. And, of course, you know, using Arcana for all kinds of Arcana Cabana reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm interested in what is your favorite skill to use? One last thing to throw up before we wrap it up. Oh, well, of course, it entirely depends on the character. Um, but, like, Bard, of course, performance. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, what a good performance can do to distract a crowd or to set the mood or to tell a story. Um, another is medicine. It's like you can use, especially since I play a lot of clerics mm-hmm. um, or um, characters that have a backup heal, you know, it's nice to not have to rely on a spell slot. Uh-huh. Especially when you're lower level. I mean, you only have so many. I'm going to save it for the big guns, um, if at all possible. Um, but after a fight... Roll that yep. medicine check, bump up, you know, do it, and you can get an apothecary, like, you know, certain things that, like, a medicine kit can help you increase that chance oh. so that you're not necessarily burning, you know, 
outrageously expensive healing potions uh, or, you know, spell slots, you know, you can, for smaller things, you can do medicine check. Yeah, and, and if you take a talent, you can actually heal with medicine checks, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Speaking of wit of talents, I've got to show you uh, Tasha's book because there is a chef talent that you might be interested in for that ah. character concept that you were thinking about. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, um, I uh, was thinking, I mean, it could go into the, even the Feywild type of background as well. Mm-hmm. But you but, can use cooking to buff, buff up your party. I, well, a lot of MMORPGs already do that. Yep. See, there's a reason why it's a universal concept. Yep. Well-fed army travels well. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, next time you get into an encounter, think about whether you're going to talk, fight, or run. And... Uh, if you're metagaming with your party, how are you communicating what the tactic's going to be? That's also an important thing to think about. You know, because you're not going to sit there debating it in front of the bad guy, and then you turn around and run. <laughs> Though that totally would be a Princess Bride moment, but for exactly. the bad guys. All of a sudden, you drop your sword and run. Or think of how many bad guys would be like, take the fat loot and run. Bird in the hand, we're two in the bush. Ah, only Porthos would find a new way to disarm himself. (laughs) Alrighty, guys, have a good night, and uh, we'll have some more uh, on Creative Plane Podcast Network, some more panels from Tuscon today, too. Awesome. Alright, guys, have a good night. Thank you for listening to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition a member of the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Please follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash CPPN to never miss a show or stream.